Sometimes we get stuck in our ideas and creations, not knowing the next step. We all have so much creativity to offer, but can get tied in knots with decisions and the need for approval. EM2 Connects Business is to help you get untangled and discover your creative identity and vision. Emily Martin and Elizabeth McDonald are the creators behind EM2. As ideators and performers, they have sung and taught worldwide. In the past few years, too many artists have asked them, what do I do next? What was their answer? Their answer was EM2 Connect. They are raising the collaboration to the power of two and on a mission to support, connect, educate, and inspire the arts community. From one-on-one -on -one coachings to creative collectives, they have the tools to help you make sense of your creativity. Head to their website at www.em2connect.com. That's www.em2connect.com to learn more about how you can build the creative world you want to live in. Welcome to season four of My So-Called Opera Life, a podcast for opera singers by opera singers. After three seasons of incredible conversations, the podcast has grown and changed much like ourselves. We're still on a mission to connect, inform, inspire, and empower musicians at all levels and stages of their career. Because as we continue to hear from you and watch the opera industry struggle to change and grow, community, connection, and transparency are as important as ever. We're here to spill the tea on the inner workings of the opera life, to celebrate the artists who unapologetically create amazing, non-traditional paths for themselves, and to inspire each other to sing freely, make art truthfully, and to work fearlessly for a more equitable industry. I'm Elise. And I'm Marcel. And we're two sopranos currently living our best so-called so opera lives. We're back. We're back. Oh my God. Season four. How are we here? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I'm saying that particular phrase. How am I here? How am I in this room all the time right now? <laughs> <laughs> we're finally in the room and it's really funny because we are... In the room that we, that the room where it all started. Right. Elisa's <laughs> office. Ah! <laughs> recording in almost the same way that we were recording when we started, but now we have a little bit of a better mic. <laughs> better mic. It's so nice to be in person and not over Zoom. If I never have to be on Zoom again, I mean, yes, it's convenient for certain situations, but like I missed in-person conversation yes, I so it. much but I will say I do like I do like being able to be on zoom now I can like connect with more people that I never right that I never connect connect with and I feel like I can catch up with people right that are far away which is nice. right and have have like I can see your face and not just be on the phone yeah um no it is nice I feel like now that we're at a spot where you can be on Zoom, but also be also in person. Zoom. I know, yeah. <laughs> it's so yeah. much better. I mean, I still love being in person, too. Yeah. Um, Preferred options. Since we travel, it is so nice. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. You feel like you miss out on less when you're on the road, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to start season four with a interview that we're very excited to bring to you. Yes. Um, with Jenny Moser of the Stage Time app. If you are not familiar with this, Stage Time is Jenny's creation. Essentially, she's trying to like bring, you know, self-management into the 21st century yeah. um, in terms of like empowering singers to have basically an online presence. spot for their resume, yeah. for their presence without going through the whole hassle of like building a website, especially if you're at a part point in your career where 
like going through the process of building a website isn't quite what you need yet, but you yeah. still need a place for industry people to see what you're up to. Totally. Websites are such a daunting task, I feel like, for a starting starting up, like as a young artist, but also just managing uh, some, you know, people that I know that are well into their career don't have a website and you really don't need one anymore. And Jenny started this whole thing basically with the idea of she was doing so many websites for people and we all need as artists, as performing artists, live performing artists, somewhere to put this like information that looks good and professional. So that's like where it started. But talking with her was so interesting to hear how it's evolved and where it's headed. Right. I mean, and also like she also really identified the need that I feel a lot of us have this conversation about like, I have my online social media presence. That's like my personal self. Mm -hmm. But then I also need to be on social media as a professional. And like, how do I do that in a way that feels authentic? And like also not giving like my bosses the keys to my personal Facebook page, basically. Right. You know, and so like stage time is this really lovely space to be connected to industry professionals that isn't friending people on Facebook, you know, where you can share your professional updates with the people who need to see it and not, you know, be worried about like, oh, well, if I post something political. Right, right. You know, which like you shouldn't feel that way about your personal space on the internet. Right. You should be able to express yourself freely. Definitely. We can't wait to share this episode and all the episodes we have planned. Uh, We are going to do some great interviews. We've already had some of these great interviews and we're also going to do some episodes with me and Marcel. Yeah, we've heard from so many of you that part of what you love the most about the podcast is our back and forth. So we're going to go, kind of go back to having a few more episodes with just the two of us sprinkled in, which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, me too. Um, so much has changed for us as artists, even in the last three years. And I know. I really want to have a space to share that with you all. Before we jump into Jenny's episode, we also want to share with you all that we've updated our Patreon system a little bit in order to you know, continue this podcast to grow and go forward. You know, financial support is really important. If you're able to do that, certainly we understand that not all of us are in a position to give a dollar a month to their favorite podcast. If that is a space that you are in and you're able to help support this work that we're doing, please check out our Patreon. We also have a buy us a coffee option for a one-time donation if you're so inclined. And it really means the world to us. Um, You know, this has just been a labor of love for a really long time, but I think to continue to keep the quality of the podcast high and to value our time as content creators, having your support just means the world. Yes, and to that end, we would like to also be sure to thank our ongoing Patreon members, Charlie Collada and Nadia Marshall. Thank you guys so much. We are just so thankful for any way that you can support us. And And a huge thanks to, like, everyone who shares our posts, comments on our posts, like, engages with us on our social media, shares an episode with a friend. All of this just, like, helps us to grow. We have, like, literally, we're in the tens of thousands of listens to our very niche podcast, and that's (laughs) a really incredible thing, and we're so grateful to all of you for your support. Yes. Thank you, guys. We're back for season four, and we are so excited to share these episodes with you. So here's the first one. Why don't you tell us who you are? <laughs> okay, awesome. I'm Jenny Moser. I am an opera singer and I am the founder and CEO of Stage Time, the hub for the performing arts. 
Yes. Yay. Exciting. Thank you so much for coming and talking with us. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We're thrilled to have you. So Jenny, like my first question right off the bat is just like, what inspired you to, to start this? So I was working as a graphic designer. So in between sort of the, the mesh point between the singing and the stage time was that I had friends who were starting to win really big and notable gigs. And I saw that the materials that represented them didn't look nearly as impressive or notable as I felt like they were as professionals. And that really frustrated me as a lover of online shopping and uh, the rabbit hole that is anthropology and the Glossier website. I just was really struck by the fact that none of the branding ever seemed to come close to classical music. We were always like 10, 20 years late. And I just found that really frustrating because I felt like most of my peers were these contemporary, smart, interesting, competent, like intersectional, multidisciplinary, blah, 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 amazing professionals. And instead, I felt like they were being relegated to this visual world that did not reflect any of that. Mm-hmm. So one of my friends in particular won uh, the Met competition. And so her website started to get all of these hits and it unfortunately was not my favorite thing I had ever seen. And I let her know that. And I said, please send me all of your materials because I really, really want to take a crack at redesigning this. And so we started it and scrapped it probably 10 times. I, I played with every content management system under the sun and decided on what I liked and eventually realized it was better than what she had started with. And so we decided to publish it. And I ended up fielding about a hundred requests for individual artist websites that month. And so really, yeah, really, really quickly, it was like, oh, this is a supply and demand issue. This isn't like a design issue. And so that was during my master's in voice and the website started to become outdated very, very quickly as we were building them because the nature of a very rapid high velocity gig economy, of course, you're nodding your head is like, oh my God, my website's always out of date. Um, so I hired some friends to help maintain all of those websites and the requests never really slowed down. Um, after Somewhere after the thousand request mark, we tried to do templates thinking that might be a better solution for people to solve the problem on their own. But realistically, either they were breaking the template and asking us to reset it or populate it for them. They were filling it out. And then as they started to get more work, they were saying, oh, can I become a retainer client? I don't want to update this anymore. Or they just all together were saying, oh, I see why designing websites takes so much time and money now. It's, it's a huge number of details and decisions. So it, it didn't really feel like a solution. And we started to look at how people were using all of those websites and they were already really gamifying them into a network. And so when we noticed that all of the interactions and hits to the websites were professional, for example, like big groups of hits coming into artist websites in Santa Fe during house auditions, more so than during performances. Like they weren't being leveraged by audiences, they were being leveraged purely as professional tools. And given that the rest of the world is able to get networked professionally very quickly on things like LinkedIn, Dribbble, The Muck, et cetera, I think it's just a shame that we all have to essentially DIY just being present within the professional community that we're a part of in real life. And so that's really what we're trying to solve for with stage time. And that's how I came to the bigger idea. Right, right. No, it's, it's, it's brilliant. I can speak personally myself. Like, yeah, like I'm in the process of a redesign for my site too. And it's like the same thing. Like, who am I making this site for? Is it for 
the pros who are looking to hire me. And most of my traffic is exactly what you're saying. And it's like, <laughs> there has to be a better way because it takes so much time. <laughs> yeah. So what are some of the different things that we probably use and our listeners probably use that you could see and hope for stage time to take the place of, or at least be an addition to something that comes to mind, like is like Facebook groups is such a networking space for musicians. So that was the first thing I thought of, like in terms of the networking and connection component. Yeah, I think it depends. I think you, we, you just spoke to the two major things that people come to stage time for. And I think it sort of creates this loop. And one is coming and creating a digital presence that might be easier to manipulate than an independent website. And especially for people who are earlier in their careers, this feels like a really nice stepping stone for them in terms of a, do I need to make that heavy investment yet? And we're actually even seeing people as, as stage time starts to get a little, have a little less friction in terms of being able to update content and then distribute that to your network. We're having people for the first time say, whoa, I think I want this instead of my website because it's easier. I can do it the night before an audition. And it, it solves that like immediate pain point of, can I control this outcome in a way that is really professional myself? So I think that's one component. The other, to your point, Elise, is the distribution component, which is how quickly can we get in touch in a space that feels appropriate professionally with colleagues, friends who are colleagues, potential hirers, which right now is Facebook. And one of the things that we hear most often from users and potential users is I really wish that there were more boundaries on social media. So for us, it's really been a, not, not a fight, but a, a real mission for us to find the balancing point between those two of acknowledging that for a lot of people, there just needs to be a digital home where they feel really, really good about the way they're being showcased professionally. And then for a lot of folks who have already tackled that website hump, it's to your point, purely the community aspect and how do I get most closely connected to the people who are most relevant to me in my career most quickly. Um, and that's sort of the other component that we're solving for in terms of determining who needs to be connected to two and how we allow that engagement to happen on the platform. Yeah, 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 I love that it's like becoming the LinkedIn for opera singers <laughs> and classical musicians. That's the hope. I think I think we've all had that experience where you get on LinkedIn and you're like, okay, somebody told me I have to have this or like I, I have a few hours today and I need to do something for, for work. And then you get on LinkedIn and you go to enter a job title and all of a sudden you're like, oh, fuck. Like, yeah. excuse me, but like op singer? Superman? Yeah. What do I put here? Like, Legal temp, graphic designer, <laughs> like what what are you asking here? Right. General manager at Tropical Smoothie Cafe, like I've done it all. <laughs> Seriously, like these are all different things I've seen on Opera Singers LinkedIn. I think it just like speaks to what a confusing place it is because then like, so this actually happened and it really frustrated me. It was a Saturday morning sometime in the past year and I got a notification that one of my friends was, or one of my connections on LinkedIn, who's a singer, was celebrating like a one-year manager anniversary at like, say, Jamba Juice or something like that, which is awesome. Like we celebrate that. We love that. That is a professional milestone. But it bummed me out for him that actually when I went and checked his stage time and his website, he had these other professional accolades singing-wise that were like really cool that I wanted to celebrate. And instead, because LinkedIn doesn't know what it's doing, I'm getting a notification on a Saturday morning about like his his the other aspect of his career, which is not how we know each other, which is not our common space, which is like not how we could benefit each other. And it just, it, it bums me out. And I want there to be a space where you get online and you say, oh, this, 
this is for me. I know exactly where to put my material so that I can connect to the people that I need to be connected to. Yeah. Right, right. And it's and it's set up to to understand the kind of work life that we live. Like LinkedIn's huge biggest problem for anyone who's a freelancer is that it is not set up for people who are <clears throat> freelancers. No. I have that don't understand that that work life. <laughs> no, I have that that's that's always like a big light bulb moment for investors who know nothing about the industry and most of them don't. But I'll say, okay, you know everything about me now after this 20-minute pitch. And still, if we connect on LinkedIn and you see me update my current position every three or four weeks, you're going to be like, whoa, that girl's a flake. Like she can't hold down a job. And you, we all know that in a gig economy, that's like, woo, big celebration. You're working. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> well, I did have a question to follow up about what you were saying. Well, I believe right now LinkedIn is like, and it, it could be beneficial that it's focused primarily on our aspect of singing, like really focusing and highlighting like that singer, like the way we might have a singer website and on websites like that a lot of people create that are singers, there's a little bit of this question of like, do I make another website for my other thing that I do or do I put it on the same website? So is stage time really focusing and are, is the future of stage time focusing on that part of the career only, or do you see it growing into other areas too? Or does it depend? I'm so glad you asked. By the time this airs, we should have made this major update to stage time. We are, it's supposed to be this week, we are shipping an update that consolidates all of the profile types to one, meaning you can add any experiential section from any type of career to your profile if you choose to put that forward. I personally, personally, am of the camp that all of those intersections always end up making you a stronger artist and hiding a different aspect of your career ultimately never helps you, I think, win and get in front of the people who are going to appreciate all of the skills you can bring to the table. I also think at this point, not acknowledging that holding other jobs to maintain a career as an artist, I think it's just irresponsible not to acknowledge that and make people more comfortable with it. So yes, 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 yes. That is something that we celebrate. That is something that I think is hugely important. And I'm really, really excited to add my own experience to my artist profile, my graphic design internships and my GA positions. Those all matter a lot to me too. I'm really proud of the work I did in those. And conversely, it's really, really exciting when we start to see people who are working more heavily in administration still include things like podcasts, old performances, because I think those things add a lot of context to the type of multifaceted career shifts that we see over time between artist and administrator and freelancer and service provider. So yes, it's something that we think is is very celebratory. Yeah, cool. that's awesome. That's it also just helps to break down like the kind of disingenuous <laughs> storyline that you can be a full-time singer in the United States when you really can't. You know, like you need ultimate, you need other forms of work to fill in your income between gigs. Like unless you're in the top 1% singing at the big houses, like you just, there's not enough work for all of us right now. No. And it's sort of, it's sort of like pretending not to acknowledge that those other skills are really important and come into play. And I just got the opportunity yesterday to speak with the um, dean of a music conservatory who was so, so articulate about his stance on the, you know, the perceived oversaturation of musicians relative to the number of jobs there are available to them. And he was more of the mindset, creatives create opportunities and collaboration always stems new things that we didn't expect to happen 
And a lot of those happen with, with cross-collaboration. And this person in particular had a long career at Microsoft as an ethnomusicologist, okay. helping license and acquire all of their world music sounds that are used in the Microsoft library today, which is like such a cool, like ended up abandoning a PhD because he got poached by Microsoft basically. And now is the dean of a conservatory and always had this fear that he would never be able to end up in academia because he had left his PhD when instead like this, this university saw him as like very, very high quality because of this intersection. And it's an incredible program. And so I love the way that he articulated, I don't think there can ever be enough creatives. We know so many creatives who are, are brilliant and could have pursued a lot of different things, but still chose their, their artistic pursuit. And I think that's really important. And I think celebrating those people who are, you know, whatever, the, the neuroscientists and the musicians or the graphic designers and musicians or paralegals and mus musicians, engineers and musicians, like these all some of the most incredible intersections. And I think there's, there's only positive benefit to be gained by having access to the full network of people excited to support intersectional creatives. Right. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. And well, and conversely, like this, this audition season, I'm also seeing like the more community minded opera companies are asking now in their applications, like what experience do you have doing outreach in, you know, in like social justice work? And like, they're asking now for you to give them that information if you have experience in other sectors, because I think they're starting to think the same way, which is really great. Yeah, I have an advisor who I think takes a really a stance on capitalism that I really appreciate because the whole idea of capitalism is something I now wrestle with a lot in this current role. But I love the idea of of a capital for for ethical good, being a steward of, of of good capital and acknowledging that opera and classical music can take up space in this big tech world and can benefit from from leveraging some of that that gain that's been so powerful for other industries. But I really appreciate the stance he takes, which is there could be a point at which things even out as we recognize that companies are more sustainable, they are more viable, they are more ethical, responsible, fiscally, they, they have better fiscal outcomes when we listen to all the voices in the room. Like it is in a no questions asked, always a better outcome when you have diverse teams, when you are listening to your production workers, to your creatives. And I think that that companies are are being forced to reconcile with that firsthand and realizing, whoa, the only people in the room who understand what it's really, really like for a performer are the performers. And seeing that shift happen and being being in the position we are during it is also really, really exciting. Yeah. Let's go back a little bit. You know, you mentioned that you're an opera singer when we started and that you're were a graphic designer. So what's the evolution? Like, how did you get into both of those things? Did they happen congruently or, you know, sort of the, the history of, of um, Jenny Moser? <laughs> yeah, sure. Singing and design. Singing, I wanted to do pretty much as early as I can remember trying to figure out a career. My mom is an elementary school music teacher. So she just made it look so fun. It was like the class in elementary school that everybody was hype on. Everybody wanted to go to Miss Moser's class. So did I. And so by the time high school rolled around and I started getting the feedback that maybe vocally it was something that was going to be possible for me. I also loved, I loved playing the piano and I played for quite a long time, but there was simply no way I was going to last in a practice room for that long. And so when it looked like singing was maybe viable, I said, oh, great, fantastic. I'm going to do that. 
that I also grew up in Brevard, North Carolina, where the music festival is. So I got to grow up like being in the children's chorus and doing roles at the festival and just like seeing the best music outside in my hometown. So mm-hmm. uh, it just seemed like the like the coolest, most fun, interesting group of people I could want to possibly join. And I absolutely turned my nose up at anything related to a nine to five, which is the universe's big joke on me today. <laughs> um, and then during college, I went to Northwestern for my undergrad and I really, really wanted to be a part of the fashion magazine. Uh, and there was no chance that they were going to ask me to write. There's a really good journalism program there. And these, these women all like end up going to major publications. And so I was like, no, they're not going to ask me to write about like my favorite pants. So I made my application look as good as I could. And they asked me if I wanted to do layout design. I applied to like literally every position they had open. I'm sure they were like, who is this girl? And they asked me to do layout design. A girl in my sorority house torrented in design onto my computer when it was not cloud software. And I had no idea what I was doing. Everything I made looked terrible. I don't think they used any of the spreads like I was still at the point with InDesign where I was like wow look I just made a circle like this is <laughs> oh no uh, so that that's sort of like how my avenue into design started and then when friends started to struggle with things like oh I can't fit all the lines on my resume I was like well I've got this great new tool where I can design straight to the margins it's called InDesign send me your stuff mm-hmm. so it was resumes and it was recital posters and I would spend like 10, 15 hours on them. And I would charge like 30 bucks. And I, when I started my master's, I really wanted some work on the side that would work with a rehearsal schedule. And I literally could not get a job anywhere in Bloomington, Indiana, like waiting tables at Starbucks. They wanted, there were so many students and they wanted people who had experience in the service industry and I did not. And so like, I couldn't get a job. And I started asking my professors if they had any recital poster needs. And so I started to do more and more design and got a couple of bigger projects that way. And then the the friend and the website really sort of kicked off the rest. And that was the design studio. The design studio was definitely the reason that I ended up meeting my manager. So I'm again, like a big, a big fan of those intersections, because I know that for me, those that put me directly in the path of the, the folks I ultimately needed to meet as a singer too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. That's awesome. And what you're, so you, you were doing web design as sort of a business. How many years were you doing that before stage time? I think I really started that or published the first website in late 2016. And so I was working really full-time, probably over 40 hours a week for most of grad school, um, which was really convenient. I never like had to actually make a transition to from school to like building up freelance work yeah. because I did it during school. So that that definitely helped a lot with that transition. So I was probably doing it full-time for three years. October, 2019 was when I really started to think seriously about making the shift to stage time. And I went full-time and started taking a salary with stage time about a year later in November of 2020. So really I was full-time end of 2016 to end of 2020 as a web designer. And the studio is still open. We still honor all of the clients we already have relationships with. And we take on new projects as, as myself and the folks that I work with have availability, but it's definitely a much quieter operation than it used to be. Gotcha. So you really took a huge initiative with everything, like with the graphic design from the very beginning, it seems like. So I'm wondering if you had, was that like, what was the motivation behind that? And what was the support behind that? Like, 
um, or family encouraging you, thinking of other alternative financial incomes, like to reach out to your professors like at Indiana in the music program while you're in your master's for music to do something that's not music is like kind of bold, I feel like. <laughs> I like, so I think early on, there were, so there were like a few pieces of positive feedback that I got. One is when you design something that makes people feel like more excited about seeing their own pictures or ideas or images laid out, they always have a positive response. It's like kind of hard to be, to, to like end up really, like they, they always are super psyched to see their ideas come to life in a way that is theirs. And then also is theirs plus like whatever, like whatever cool stuff I could add to it that is still like in the realm of what they had in mind. So I think that is one positive about getting into design and the style of design I was doing that just like made it a, a positive experience. I think the other is much less like glamorous or overt. My family is very supportive, but they definitely were were more of the camp of what are you doing? And they, they didn't have a problem with it. They weren't unsupportive. But I think seeing me go opera singer, oh, I'm freelancing as a designer. And then eventually to stage time, my parents are to the point now where they're like, just let us let us know if we can help with anything. Let us know what's next. Um, I, I actually asked them at a point, I had like a big teary moment. And I was like, are you, are you upset with me for not, you know, directly applying the degrees you supported me through? Um, not even financially, just like they were, you, you know, they, they rode the emotional roller coaster with me of every acceptance, every rejection, every job. And so I said, you know, are you, are you mad at me for tossing that emotional and financial collateral we all have? And they said, of course not. There's no way any of this would have happened. And also, if you think we ever could have told you not to get your voice degrees or not to pursue music, you're insane. So we are glad to have the Sparkle Twins back as sponsors for season three. Sharice and Sharicia Williams are identical twin sopranos from Brooklyn, New York. Their business offers mouth masks to protect you from unwanted germs and conversations with cute phrases like, yes, I am an opera singer. And no, I will not sing for you. Check out their shop at www.sopranotwins.com shop. I think really the thing was I just loved like noodling around on the computer. I always have. I was a big CD-ROM nerd as a kid super fair skin, didn't do well in the sun. Like I had this Jimmy Neutron CD-ROM game that I couldn't get enough of. Uh, I held <laughs> every high score. I'm not kidding. I have like the, the, the nerdiest kid hobbies. And I think that also evolved truly, this is super lame, into online shopping. I think design is just a million decisions and you just make them and decide if they like, if they look good together or you decide you don't like it and you try some other ones and you just keep decision-making until you're like, that's it. Sometimes it happens when you like leave a line in the wrong place and you're like, oh, it looks better than I thought that mistake did. So I think it was a combination of having a high tolerance and interest in playing with digital tools and using shopping and clothing as an outlet for creativity and decision-making. And I, when I found content management systems, especially visual ones and design programs, it felt like that same activity where I was like, oh, I can take the stuff that's in my head and make something out of it. And that was really satisfying to me. And I was really surprised. I've been really surprised to learn as a designer and actually ultimately in business that I feel a lot more creative than I ever did as a singer. And I, I love being a singer and it felt creative too, but I'm, I can't write music. That's, I like can't create original thought when it comes to music and classical music. 
So for me, and, and I can't draw either. So I, I think for me, digital happens to be the medium and this, this all this stuff, it was like the right culmination of items that fit together conveniently. Yeah, that's awesome. That's Definitely. super exciting. Yeah, I highly recommend that to me, Neutron CD-ROM game. I always <laughs> die to get their hands on it. <laughs> I had the I had the series of Doctor Brain CD-ROM games that were like physics games, and I like adored them. I feel like we would have been our younger us would have been friends, Jenny, because like I had my first website at like thirteen because I had guppies that I bred guppies, and I was like <laughs> guppies that I designed like a GeoCity site for my guppies. <laughs> How did I, I not know that? <laughs> oh my god. I did a Sim City competition in middle school where you had to like build a Sim City and you could get them like very sophisticated and successful. And all of the kids from like the, the really well-funded tech heavy counties had these like incredible projects. And I was from this like super small town in Appalachia. And we took this like little Dodge minivan to the competition. And my contribution was that I wrote a jingle and I taught the other two girls how to sing it. And I accompanied Oh God, this is so bad. Will I ask you to omit this? I accompanied <laughs> with an original tune on oboe, which was my middle school instrument. Oh um, so yes, I think we definitely would have been friends and had similar aspirations and interests, Marcel. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. Oh my God. Yeah, we passed the Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> You you actually referred, I don't know if you noticed this, but you referred to your career, singing career in past tense. Are you still actively singing? Not at the moment. So I, I stepped away from the wonderful roster that I joined, which was an incredible experience. But after we closed a round of funding, to be totally frank, this past fall, I needed to be really realistic with myself about the expectations of the role that I was stepping into as the company grew. And it's not necessarily what I planned and in retrospect, I don't know if I would have chosen something that so overtly committed me from a time perspective, but in a lot of ways, I'm also glad that it happened the way that it did because it's really uh, challenging a lot of the time and it was challenging to make the decision to step away from singing, but the built-in accountability is also nice. It's nice to have a built-in accountability and support system when you're doing something that's difficult. So I'm definitely comfortable with this is the decision. Is it is it what I would have projected or maybe overtly chosen in like the grand schema of controlling your own life? No, but I wanted to do this particular job really, really well. And maybe fingers crossed, I solve my own problem and feel like I can connect to my singing community. And five years from now, I'm a happy stage time user and I sing again. So who knows? Yeah, right. Who knows? I mean, I think it's for for me to hear that is like a huge success in the in the world of of singing and classical music to like have someone like and we've interviewed other people too but I've also heard so many stories of singers like finding something like that really has the potential to grow and be this awesome thing and then realizing it just doesn't like go with the career that they envisioned and not being able to make that change because it is like really scary and then you feel especially like with the narrative that we have of of like things always being too late in the industry like it it feels like oh my god if i want to do that i'll just do it later cuz this is going to be too late so to hear you say like that maybe i'll come back and i'm happy i made the decision and it's almost like if i just might say be bold to say like that the universe like presented it to you this way so that you'd said yes and like i'm just very excited about that for the 
community for our community because I like would love that to happen more not that they leave singing but that they have the courage to get into things that really are like exciting for this industry I couldn't agree more I think the most important word you just said is narrative and it happened a lot really really when design and singing were both still extremely present and visible in my life and everyone would ask oh, are you a singer? Are you a graphic designer? Oh, you're doing the graphic design thing now. And everyone else had this like need to label it. And I was like, I mean, I'm auditioning. And when I'm not auditioning, I work on my little computer. Um, you can call either of those things, whatever you want. But yeah. all I know is that my bills are getting paid and I'm meeting all of my obligations as a singer. So I don't know why everybody needs to define it. And, and I felt so, so lucky that I worked with an agent. Shout out to Justin Werner who really wanted, yeah, he said, like, he never asked me to choose. He was like, you, they're inextricable. They go together. And a lot of the relationships that we ended up exploring from that perspective had a relationship to my graphic design work, not directly, like we were thoughtful about what the individual narratives were. But again, it was, it was, it was thoughtful, and it was manageable. It wasn't just this thing where I, I was so sick of feeling like other people were handing to me this narrative of what I could or couldn't do. And that's one of my biggest pet peeves is being told you can be this, you can't be this. I don't think any costume or persona is off limits to anyone, whether that's like 40% singer, 60%, whatever else you love to do, 10, 90. I don't really care. And I, I think that if, if you're in front of people who aren't able to appreciate that, you might just not be in front of the right people yet. It's not... I don't, I, I don't know. I'd be, I'd be shocked if either of you said like, oh, playing by the rules of what the industry dictated would make me successful has made me more successful. Right. Yeah. No, we, we wouldn't. It doesn't work. <laughs> no. Yeah. So I think, that no. piece is like, yeah, I think that narrative piece is hugely important because again, <laughs> deciding, deciding to pursue something else where you feel really appreciated and successful for five, 10 or 20 years does not mean you're not a singer. It doesn't mean you won't be later. And it doesn't mean if somebody calls me tomorrow and says, Hey, I need you to fill in for a concert gig in the American West. Cause there's nobody here who knows this piece, which has happened before. Like I'm going to go do it. Right. Like I'm going to move a couple of business, maybe not my board meeting, but I'm going to go take that gig. It's also the question for me now of, Hey, do you want to go do a two month European tour for, for studio programs? No, I can't honor that commitment. Those are still versions of being a singer. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think the thing that's that, that I'm hearing coming out really strongly is that like, and this has been a theme, I think in our last few interviews is just, um, the ownership that you, you take over your career and like, ultimately what that comes down to is that you're you never, it sounds to me like you never let singing be the inevitable thing where you like didn't have a choice anymore. I was kind of like journaling about this for myself this morning around like, you know, as soon as we get into this mindset where I don't have a choice, like I'm a, either a singer or I'm not. And so like, it takes all the, you take all the power away from yourself. And then you're, then you're like just giving it to the people who you're asking a job for. And then this desperation comes in it and it's like, no, like you always have the choice to, you know, pursue the other thing on the side and like, let that come more into focus. And that doesn't diminish your artistry. I, I don't, I don't know if that makes sense. No, I think that's huge. And I think it's the difference between like, we all sort of hear that little talk during undergrad or grad school or some training program where someone is like, 
make sure you have hobbies that fill you up. And you're like, okay, so the way to balance out my singing career is also to make sure that I always craft and take a ballet class, right? Like when people like have other skills, you're like, okay, no one is upfront about like, you can sing and you can also be a paralegal. They then say stuff like, if you like anything else, go only do that. And it's like, we're, we're really operating on some pendulums here, guys. <clears throat> I think the, the real moment, the, one of the real changing moments for me in terms of that, that worth piece was when my clientele started to be really quite notable in terms of the gigs they were getting and their psyche was 100% the same as mine. It was still like, do you like this picture or this picture? Is this color better or this color better? Like, will this layout get me hired more? And it's like, no. Yeah, right. No, <laughs> let me just say it yeah, won't. Just, like as, as long as as long as you didn't like hide links 14 seconds scroll down the page, like unless it's like egregiously wrong, bad and ugly and won't load, like, no, that's yeah. not really the defining career right, point. Right. And so everybody had the same exact like. Like if, if somebody doesn't like their nose, for example, and we're going through headshots together, they will always choose the picture where their nose looks good, even if the rest of the picture is like, like dark and out of focus, as long as the thing they're insecure about looks good, they're like, that's the one. I look great. It's <laughs> so like everybody is always trying to compensate for this feeling of like, how does my self-worth relate to my career? And I think that one of the, and, and we know this, especially as singers, but you can't detach your face, your name, image, and likeness from the work that you're doing. So I think that coming more into contact with people at the top of their game and seeing that same psyche was like, I was like, oh, I'm over it. I don't have time for this. I am not doing this until I am 55 years old and thinking about a professorship. Absolutely not. I'm over it right now, but it's, it's a huge mindset shift. And I think finding something else not just that you like, like that is like rock climbing or, or skydiving, which are also wonderful, but something that makes you feel valued as a professional contributor, whether that's freelancing and writing da capo arias or anything else. I think it's great to establish how else you're contributing outside of just your voice, because you are still a whole person with a body and a brain that contributes in a lot of other ways. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to ask you about how stage time has grown and you've talked about funding and giving yourself a salary. And I think it would be really helpful. And I'm just really curious too, how has stage time grown and how have you been thinking about it from a financial standpoint in terms of your sustainability and the company's sustainability? Right. Cause it's free for users. Yeah, I know that I really, really have a question on my little notes over here. Will we have to pay? <laughs> no. So spoiler alert, I'll jump to that. That's like everybody's question. I'm glad that you asked about the financials because I think it's taboo both personally and for businesses. And I don't think it needs to be, but I think it's a, it's a better conversation to have as a conversation because it's like weird to just put that information out there. So the spoiler alert to jump to that question, everything that is available today is free and always will be. We plan to introduce premium features, much like a LinkedIn premium down the road that, that sort of indicate to us and to you, we've taken this to a new space where we are likely starting to save you some money from your Wix, your Canva, your Squarespace, all these other places. 
by sort of being a hub that helps distribute to your network. But again, we see those as really very much of a premium experience where behaviorally you're, you're really leveraging the tool in such a way that we feel it's reasonable to, to acknowledge that we're creating some fiscal value for you there. But we think that getting online and looking great and showcasing your entire career and sharing that with your community should always be free. Having access to getting online, being represented well, connecting with anyone you feel you need to, or at least making that attempt should be free, regardless of where you went to school, how well positioned you are to be able to pay for a website coming straight out of school. All of the things that we know affect how long a person can stay in the career or even get to the career or the training in the first place. So that's pretty important for us. Financially, myself and sustainability, it was a long and very thoughtful path. Funding was as well. Having come from the service business side with my web design LLC, I felt like I had a pretty good understanding of what it meant to service single clients or operate as a small business and develop a product in a relationship that is really that binary one-to-one offering. But the nature of custom work and doing all of your work for one person is that it becomes really expensive for one person. And I really don't, I do not have conviction or buy-in that websites are the solution for the industry. Um, I think it's great for the top 1% or for the, the, the people who like, I don't know, they're selling courses and they're selling merch and it's like, they're their own thing, powering transactions, sweet. But for posting what is basically a brochure with a contact form, I don't think that it should be as hard or as siloed as it is. So for that reason, I felt really comfortable making the transition to a much larger corporation, which is like sort of a weird headspace to get into financially and requires a completely different business setup altogether and, and requires funding. And the idea be- behind venture capital funding, which I, I didn't know, and maybe everybody else knows this, but I really didn't, didn't realize that it is to fund early, unvalidated ventures that are potentially highly risky, but have a potential huge upside if this idea that all of these people that aren't represented on, on LinkedIn, these non-corporate professionals who have these incredible soft skills and portfolios who still have networks that came out of their undergrads, we could solve a problem for a lot of people. And that, that sort of is our eventual aim is how, what is the ultimate, what is the greatest good we can create for artists and creatives if we don't have to just think about, we started our business and we have to charge you money tomorrow to survive today. It allows us to take the first couple of years to be in conversation with artists and organizations and say, we don't have it right yet. We don't, we don't know for sure that we've created something that is worth money to you. Can you have conversations with us about how to tweak it? Because we have had enough people sign up and be super jazzed about the idea that we know that there's something here that is a need. We just have been working for the past couple of years to make sure that we're really sort of ping-ponging into something that is truly valuable for larger groups of people. Yeah. Oh my God. I love so many things about what you just said. (laughs) (laughs) That's very exciting. So you have a team. You refer to stage time as us. So who's on your team and how did you get connected with them? I'm assuming there's a lot of non-singers. So there's a, our team is, okay, we have the coolest team. And at a point to do all of that work that is going to create the greater good, you have to acknowledge that 
you gotta you gotta hire people who are great at hard jobs who have to get paid respectable tech world salaries, which are crazy expensive. So that's where the funding piece comes in and being intentional about finding partners who can help you locate that team and fund you appropriately to be able to make hires that really do make you competitive in a larger tech market. Um, that was one of my big pet peeves was seeing things in the industry that are like uh, almost there, but not quite. It's like the, the level of quality just is never high enough to create long-term sustainable solutions. So for me, I, I mean, fingers crossed will be successful, but I've tried at every turn to say like, is this clean enough? Is this good enough? Did we think hard enough about this problem? Because I think we've all run into too many things where it's like, yeah, I didn't, did yeah. you guys, that doesn't really feel quite right. Uh, that's not quite what I need. So anyway, that was the entire intention of the funding was to find this bombshell team. My first employee, Nate, was a friend of a friend, and he listened to a different podcast. Actually, I did a couple of years ago and was working at a tech startup in like the utilities and assets industry, aka like sewage and water. And he heard the podcast and he was like, this is so cool. I really, really want to talk to Jenny about this. And I was like, whatever. It's it, The friend would become my boyfriend. And I was like, no, you're not going to find my first. Okay, fine, whatever. He was incredible. He was like the most diligent, perspective, hardworking person that perceptive, hardworking person I had ever met. And he consulted with us for about six months before things really started to grow faster. And it became obvious we needed to start considering full-time hires. And it was just an obvious choice that no matter how we would end up titling the roles, he was really, really crucial to our infrastructure and success. So he was the first person we hired. From there, we didn't make more full-term commitments until we started to raise again. So it was a lot of working with freelancers and contractors, which presented a lot of challenges in terms of team stability and working with consistent providers. So after we finished this round of funding this past November, that really was core team first, you know, five, five hires. Uh, we have a director of product who spends a lot of time listening and deciding, okay, with that problem, does it need to be a header, a footer, a sidebar, a newsfeed, likes and comments? What should it be that solves this problem? And then we have a team of about, it fluctuates, but five to six artists who work anywhere from half to three quarters time. And they roll in and out between gigs, which is great for us and great for them. Because a lot of the work that we ask them to do with understanding schedules and data and organizations is so industry specific that plugging folks who don't know anything about industry data and taxonomy in is a huge headache for us. So instead, working with performers who weigh in and say like, hey, as a brass player, that's not how we would say that. That's like not going to resonate with our brass players. That's been really, really helpful for us. And as we know, creatives are some of the, the best intersectional workers that we would ask for. So that arm of our team is really, really cool and sort of a group of utility players that functions as customer success and community management. Oh, and then we have three full-time developers. So okay. uh, that's the split on our team right now. We're about six full-time and then we've got five or six part-time artists that roll in and out uh, and help with various things. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, one of the things that I really just like got excited about from your, like what you've been saying is like, I'm, you know, to get, it, it is a huge market. I feel like in the, co like you, you described them as non-corporate professionals. It's a huge market. And just like opera singers alone is like a huge market of people that have so many pain points, so many things that could be better that 
I feel like it's just a huge market that only really we know about. And then that's why I love when like a singer like hits on that and finds like the passion to really take it to the next level. So I don't know. I'm just saying it's very exciting. And I would like, you know, you then when you when you find out like and you get all this like amazing just like feedback, like you said, of thousands of people like wanting websites and then you realize like, okay, instead of just like taking on like just taking on as much work as I can, which is great. You would have made a great salary. You would have, you know, you can have a life like that and it's great. But to take it to another level is like really benefiting the whole community. So it's very exciting. And to do the work to learn more about like, what is the market? What is the potential? Which is what you need to get the funding is really cool. (laughs) Thanks. It's been, it's been a super interesting journey. And it's also like, we've talked about so many of the highlights to be totally transparent. Like there are, I would say for every thousand people we interact with, maybe like two get really angry and upset. But there are people who also like, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. When I was doing websites, it very much was like, you're so overpriced. This is ridiculous. I don't like the way you run your business. And for me, it was like, well, you don't have to work with me then. A, you don't have to work with me. And B, there was a real lack of education in terms of, I was doing a lot of work also outside of the industry. And the disconnect between understanding what was standard for working with a service provider for folks who had never worked with a designer before was really tricky. And it wasn't, it was, it was tough because it was like, well, I know you haven't, you haven't been in this relationship before. So it's, it's okay. But it was a lot of, it was a lot of constantly sort of being in the crosshairs of a lot of insecurity and a lot of frustration at the price point and frustration with having to do it in general. And so for me, it actually felt very, very easy and natural to say like, yeah, I don't really, my peers, it's great when it's, when it's a true A-lister who calls you and you're like, this is a fraction of one night of a contract for you. Let's do it. Let's get you up and running. They want nothing to do with it. They're like, great, hands off. I love what you did. That's fun. But it's for the people who are in the throes of their career, who think, who, who really feel like they need to affect some change with these, with these tools that, uh, it, it just felt like I wasn't able to to service them in a way that that made sense for both parties. Yeah, and, right, right. and so zooming out for that larger solution felt like truly kind of the, the more responsible path for the work right. itself yeah. to take. Then on the other side of that, immediately, uh, not immediately, but within that, there are, like I said, a thousand happy people. And then there are the loudest people screaming, I hate social media. We don't need this this is a terrible idea. I already have a website and an agent. It's just opera base, just use opera base. And it's like, we can do better. I I don't, we can't, we're not going to be perfect. We're not going to do everything, but we can do better. So I think also it's sort of to your point, Elise, it's like, it's finding those intersectional spaces in which you, you can be successful and take things another direction. And just knowing that with that affirmation is going to come people who are going to say, go back to what you were doing before. Don't do that. I mean, yeah, I I mean, I'm really glad you came on because I have heard, I have heard those negative voices like from others. (laughs) I I have heard a lot of them, honestly, and I'm sure you've heard them too. And it's really nice to have you on and learn so much about what you're doing and be, I'm very excited. I'm very happy for you and happy for stage time and, and happy to see where, where it all continues to grow. Right. Right. And I hope that artists like 
and I'm sure that this is the case, but um, like that we can learn how to leverage this incredible tool that you've built for us essentially so that we can really, you know, move into the next century, into this century with our, with how we do our networking and find jobs and stuff. People are being, people are amazing. And the, the cool long-term upside of really focusing on building a true, what we hope is a platform, like a space where we're not influencing what happens. We're creating um, a, a mutual equitable space for other people to come and find what they need. Right. The, the really cool upside of that is already seeing the hires that are happening, the projects that are happening as direct results of connections on stage time. And it happens in the soft stuff. Everybody wants to scream, well, you know, make it a job board right now, maybe someday. But we're still super focused on those organic interactions that are from your network when the time is right. And we're seeing the projects and collaboration and hires happen. And it's so cool because it's so organic. So we're psyched too. And I'm just so jazzed to hear how this sort of fits in with what y'all are thinking about. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the, you know, it sounds like you came from a, you came from a place building stage time that we did building the podcast insofar as like we saw this need you know, amongst the singers coming up behind us who were com like coming out of school and being like, well, how do I get started in my career? And we're like, well, we've already done, like, we're doing this. We're in the middle of it. Like, let's share resources so that not everyone has to reinvent the wheel. And so you talking about that responsibility piece just like makes my heart so happy and warm, <laughs> you know, because I like doing graphic design work myself, like you are in that, like often in that space of just like, well, I know that like $300 is really hard for you to come by as a your artist who needs a website, but like, it's going to take me at least 10 hours to build out a simple web page for you. And I need to make 10, like $30 an hour <laughs> to do that. So like, cause I have to eat too. And so like, how do I feed myself, but also respect the fact that I know that like you're making $300 a week at your church job. And that's like a whole week's pay for you. <laughs> Totally. It's a, it's a hard ecosystem to be in, but I think for that reason, resource sharing and collaboration are everyone's friend. Things that, that mutually bring down the access of cost and barrier and space, I think are innately positive because we do go through these crazy periods of, I mean, and, and we all have, we all are these people and have these friends. And I've heard, you know, Metzos before say, there's nothing in this season for me. Like all of the regional houses I worked at last year, if you look at the places that would hire me back, there are two roles in their season I could sing right. too. Like that's, that's, and, and it's not that, it's not that they're just not going to get work and they'll have years after that that are totally different, but it's, it's so in flux and it's so unpredictable that when you do need a community to share resources and thoughts and help with, I think that's really valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible that you saw that, saw that need and have built something to yeah. solve the problem, which is so exciting. I always like to ask at the end of the interview, why opera? Why do you love opera? Why do you love classical music? Our quote unquote, which I freaking hate that word, honestly, but it's like, the, if someone can tell me another better word, that would be great. Yeah. Why? For me, opera and classical music specifically are, they're a great way for me to sort of turn my brain off, actually, maybe, maybe counter to people who like really to think very, very hard about all of the wonderful details. But for me, they are so, especially with the live aspect, orally all-encompassing. And sometimes I need something that obvious to be able to really go there emotionally and feel like I'm really connected to something. And that's something I've always appreciated about opera and classical music is that you sit in a seat and it's everywhere. It's what you're looking at. You can feel it vibrating. 
you can hear it, you can see like 300 people at the same time working to make it happen. And I just think you can't help but be moved by it. And you really don't have to do anything except show up and sit in the seat. And I wanted to be a part of that. I think it's a really cool, gracious thing to do for an audience when you're doing it really well. When you're not, then it can be a lot of unpleasant noise. But when it's really good, it's so good. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for being here with us today. It was really a pleasure to talk to you. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me and my boofing dog. (laughs) (laughs) Mine's asleep next to me on the floor. (laughs) Yeah, now he's asleep. Now we're done. So. Thanks for listening to the My So-Called Opera Life podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help us keep making more, because this content creation shit ain't free, y'all, you can show us some love by rating and reviewing the podcast. This helps get the word out to more badass artists. Share with a friend. Word of mouth is the best advertising and a free way to support us. Double win for empowering your colleagues and being a responsible follower. Buy us a coffee. Fuel our coffee obsession and our Instagram live coffee chats with a one-time donation of any amount. Or bust that starving artist myth by becoming a sustaining Patreon member. This option is so impactful to the ongoing creation of our podcast that we offer you early access to ad-free episodes and more. You can become a member for as little as $3 a month. Still can't get enough of us and want to add your voice to the conversation? Join us over on Instagram at Podcast. This podcast is edited by Joshua Wise and produced and hosted by Elise Mark and Marcel McGurk. Stage Time is the professional hub for the performing arts and is a growing community of 4,000 plus opera singers and classical musicians, arts administrators, agents, production staff, and beyond. Set up a launch-ready portfolio in under 10 minutes A growing list of over 100 arts organizations accepts a stage time profile in lieu of a website URL. Unlike a static website, stage time allows you to connect with collaborators, showcase your skills, source or be sourced as the right talent, and center your creative practice. Stage time is available on any web browser or on the App Store and on Google Play. Search stage time to stay connected to colleagues, mentors, students, and friends from anywhere in the world. The arts industry is waiting for you on stage time.